Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Ellen Pogamiller with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Catherine Bishop, president of OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. Well, we are excited today. It's it's just me. Um, Catherine is actually out of town um, for this interview, but I am super excited to be joined by Ivy Riggs um, today to talk about what happened in session this week and really start with the bill that we alerted members on, Senate Bill 1647. Hi, Ellen. Thanks for having me. Uh, yes, it was uh, kind of a, a week-long 1647 roller coaster. Um, uh, we came off of the week before where it passed out of Senate appropriations. Uh, this week it came, uh, it it landed on the agenda of the Senate floor. And so we kept kind of hearing speculation of when it would be heard. We finally got confirmation. We thought it would be Tuesday and then we thought it would be Wednesday. And then we finally got confirmation that it was going to be yesterday morning. Then it kind of changed to yesterday afternoon. And in the end, it was not heard. They adjourned at about three o'clock because it was a big uh, federal Relief Funds Committee, where lots of the leadership was involved in that, so they they had to adjourn by three o'clock to go to that meeting. So, it, in the end, it was not heard. Um, are we celebrating? I mean, how did we that are celebrating? Yeah, we we are celebrating. I'm trying to decide how I want to say it. Um, <laughs> there's not a doubt in my mind that if they had had the votes in the building to pass it, it would have it would have been heard. They would have interrupted regularly scheduled programming to bring it up, to debate it, and to pass it if the votes were there. There were some notable absences yesterday in the Senate. Uh, we know, um, you know, some folks are campaigning and 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 running for different offices across the state. They're terming out, and so a, a couple had been scheduled absences. Uh, there were uh, there was a, an illness in one member's family, so that was an unexpected absence. You know, so so there were there were several that um, I think might have been um, difference makers. Uh, I we know it's a close vote. We know it's a close vote, and uh, if you've looked at our social media yesterday and today, you know we've been begging for contact, and then today it turned into a thank you so much because uh, the the advocacy and the outreach from our members and from our coalition partners has been incredible. And we found some new partners in this in this fight, if you will. Um, parent groups who have who have just had enough, who have not really been um, in in this argument for a while. And now they've just said enough with messing with our public schools. We've been quiet long enough. Uh, we found some partners in some um, church organizations that know how important our schools are in their communities. Um, goodness, and, and even, even some usually pretty conservative leaning folks just believe that either this isn't the right method or this isn't the right time. So for whatever reason, we have found some interesting partners and are, are incredibly thankful for them and also for our own members doing a really hard job right now and also finding the time to still reach out and, and let their senators know how they feel. And it's working. Uh, we hear that the governor is really, really pushing this. Uh, we hear he has been in the halls of the Senate, uh, not happy at the ones who voted no in committee um, and making that pretty publicly known. 
that doesn't seem to be helping matters. It, it, it feels like uh, feels like it's making folks kind of dig their heels in. Um, you know, usually there's some leeway where even if you don't agree with leadership, you vote your district. If your district is supportive of an issue, you vote it. If they're not supportive of an issue, you don't vote it. And it doesn't feel like that freedom is being uh, allowed, if you will, right now. So um, it, it's it's been uh, pretty entertaining to watch. One of the things that um, I saw happen this week that was interesting to me, I mean, you talked about a dead heat and you're talking split 50-50. And, 50 /50. and, and so we started hearing rumors emerge. I mean, what happens if this went to the floor and it was a 50-50, you know, it was split 50-50. So if they don't get the majority of votes, it fails, period. Now, the one caveat is the lieutenant governor is literally the leader of the Senate. He very rarely sits in that position except for you know ceremonial times, uh, opening session, closing session, things like that. But he could come in and be a tiebreaker. As a rule, this lieutenant governor is a public school advocate. Um, his children go to Jinx Public Schools. He's very happy with that. He's openly happy with it. I don't know where he would stand on that. Um, I do know that some entities had, had really pushed for outreach to Lieutenant Pinnell to uh, let him know how, how we felt as Oklahoma citizens yesterday. I hear the phone lines were jammed, that we were not one of those groups to push that. Right. But it was so interesting to watch it ha happen. So in answer to if it's split, the bill fails. Traditionally, leadership does not roll out a bill that they don't know the results of. Um, they will have whipped it, which is a, a vote count, mm -hmm. uh, and they will be pretty confident that that it would pass or I don't think we see it. Frankly, that's traditionally how things have gone. Yeah. So another thing that kind of happened this week, our education coalition um, made up of a variety of partners um, sent out a press release on a um, survey that was done. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so specifically, um, it was a scientific poll, which is a very big difference. It's not a Twitter poll, not a Channel 8 and Tulsa online poll, but an but an actual scientific poll from a from a very well known Republican pollster who does Senator James Langford's polling, who did all of Governor Mary Fallon's polling that year she was in office. So, um, a legitimate very well known, very well respected pollster. And on purpose, um, that's why he was chosen. That's why this group, the Terrence group, looked them up. They have high mm -hmm. ratings. They are very legitimate. That's yeah. why they were chosen. So um, we did that poll to kind of counteract a poll that's been floating around out there that says rural Oklahoma, for the first time in, in history, support vouchers. We don't believe that. And this poll proved it to be wrong. The other poll that had been floating around before would not show us the questions asked. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, in conversation, they'll say they were the parents were asked, "Do you think parents should have a say in their child's education?" Of course they do. We all think a parent should have yes. a child's education. So we asked very pointed questions about taxpayer dollars going to private school entities uh, being spent on outside of public school or private school. How we asked it in a variety of ways, and overwhelmingly. Uh, both all, not both, rural, urban, and suburban Oklahomans across party lines all said they oppose that 
that practice, period. Um, it cannot be argued with. 59% uh, of Republicans, so we can't even say this is a party issue. I think if you look at our towns, and, and, and especially the further out you get from a metro area, whether it be Oklahoma City or Tulsa, I think you see that that school is the hub of your town. That school is one of the largest employers in many cases. Uh, it is the activity of basketball and football and, and band and, and choir and whatever it is your uh, FFA, whatever it is your community really, really gets behind. That school is the epitome of that. And I think what Oklahomans have said in this poll is they do not support anything that would take funding away from our public schools. And, uh, you know, we were really happy about the timing of the poll. We were kind of hoping it would come out a little earlier, but I don't, I honestly think it was perfect timing in the end. It kind of happened the way it maybe was meant to happen. Yeah. And I, I think the other interesting part to that poll is while the poll drilled down on really looking at vouchers and explaining them multiple ways, and again, gaining the results over and over again that, that Oklahomans are opposed, it also went back and said, what kind of investment would you want in your public schools? And overwhelmingly, at least 80% or higher on each question, overwhelmingly wanted better funding for our public schools. We, we asked really four categories, uh, more funding for our public schools, especially to be competitive for our per pupil funding uh, in, in comparison to our surrounding regional states. Um, more pay for our teachers because we know what the shortage is doing. And what did my heart the best is more pay for our support employees because we know they are grossly underpaid. We know that staffing is a huge issue in so many places. So, um, you know, school bonds are passing still. So this rhetoric, this, this, this people being unhappy with their public schools post-COVID. I think we did hit a dip where, where some parents were frustrated and we understand that. Mm -hmm. and, and they spoke their mind, but everyone is back. Um, enrollment in virtual school is down and in-person in our neighborhood schools is back up. Uh, we're thriving. Uh, teachers are, are working as hard as they've ever worked to make this a good transition and make up for some of that time away. Uh, and, and I think overwhelmingly, Oklahomans are supporting our, the work we're doing. Absolutely. So now we're we're heading into spring break next week, Ivy. So what does that kind of look like? So both the House and the Senate have said they will be in session Monday and Tuesday. Uh, the House says they're going in a little early on Monday. They're going to go in at 1030 and do a, you know, more than a half a day, a basically a full day and then be done on Monday afternoon, come back in on Tuesday. And, you know, we don't know if they'll just do a morning like sometimes they do on Thursdays or if they'll do both, but they will be in session both of those days and then they will not be in session Wednesday and Thursday. So they will take somewhat of a spring break as well. The Senate uh, has not said, uh, they are going in at 1.30 as usual on a Monday. So they'll come in and do their caucus meetings and, and all of that and have their regular Monday, Tuesday session. So they'll do a, an afternoon on Monday, a morning and an afternoon on Tuesday. Um, the next week is deadline. So, so, so coming off of spring break, it'll be like, you know, the hurry up and wait and then hurry up again. So um, we'll start Monday, the, what does that be? The 21st would yes. be the, the Monday of, of deadline week, which means any bill that needs to go through the process will have to get out of its house of origin by that Thursday, the 25th. So uh, House bills out of the House, Senate bills out of the Senate. So, so that will be a, you know, buckle up and 
and, and wait and see what happens. It'll be a busy week. Long, it sounds like it'll be long days. It will. To it get will. through all that stuff. It, it is not uncommon for them to go into the evening um, on a couple of days during that deadline week. And they, they usually will let their members know. They'll, I mean, you know, the house went well past five a couple of days last week. And so that's, that's pretty common practice on a deadline week. Awesome. Well, um, one other thing that I failed to mention when we were talking about the poll, if you at home want to learn more about our poll, you can go to okea.org backslash vouchers not okay. A great time while you are at home for spring break to share that information with your family and friends and, and let them know what we have heard that overwhelmingly Oklahomans would rate their public school ed educators as good or excellent. So pat yourselves on the back. You all are doing an excellent job um, of, of ensuring our kids are educated and parents care and they and they know you, you've stepped up this year. So um, I think that's anything else you can think of, Ivy? You know, there's still a lot of bills. The House heard around 100 bills this week. The Senate heard just under that. And there are probably another hundred or so that are eligible to be heard and on a multitude of topics, obviously not all education. So, you know, we'll see some education. We'll see a little bit of everything. I think up in the air in both houses are some tax cuts. And, and, and you know, while, while we want more money in our pocket as taxpayers, um, anytime we hear about tax cuts, all we think of is, is, is not defunding, but, but cuts to funding. Uh, to our core services and education is one of those. So it, when we when we talk about what our kids need in our schools, funding from us is is one of them, right? But then DHS funding, state agency, and healthcare, and you know just all of the things that go into what our students uh, depend on in many communities. So um, just kind of um, as you as you contact your legislators over the issues that come up, let them know how you feel about all of those issues. And if you have questions about anything outside of education, we're happy to answer those. We try to, as we're told at the Capitol, we try to stay in our lane, but, <laughs> but we are also Oklahomans and voters. And we have, um, although education is our passion, you know, we're people and we have families and, and we care about all of the other things as well. So, um, Please don't hesitate to reach out and uh, please take a needed break next week and, and be ready to get started after spring break. Absolutely. We, Ivy and I had an opportunity to hear us, one of our members, a school counselor, talk last week at one of our civication dinners. And he said, our students are, are, are a reflection of their society. And I think that's exactly your point, Ivy. It's like, we can't just focus on one issue because our kids come in that door as a reflection of all the needs within their community. And we want all of those needs met, so. Absolutely. We wanna, we wanna raise well-rounded people. Yes. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much. You enjoy your weekend, you, you deserve it. Thanks, you guys have a good weekend too. Bye. Well, we are very excited today to be joined by Brittany Hayes. She is the policy director at the Healthy, Healthy Minds Initiative. Um, Brittany, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be at the Healthy Minds Initiative. Sure. So like you said, my name is Brittany Hayes and I'm the policy director at Healthy Minds. Um, I originally started my career as a public school teacher in Oklahoma. Yes. I graduated college early. 
um, and was very unprepared to be in a classroom, especially with the number of students that I had. Um, there was one class that I had that had over 15 IEPs um, and the classes were of a large size. And here I am as a 21 year old feeling totally unprepared but starting to really notice that a lot of the issues that I was facing were at the policy level. I mm -hmm. loved the kids in my classroom. I loved working with parents. Um, I was a speech and debate teacher. And so I loved the passion of extracurriculars. Um, but all of this really showed me in the four years that I taught that policy is really where my head and my heart were. Uh, and so I decided to go to law school. Um, there's a there's quite a few people that I know that went the education to law school train. And I will tell you that law school was way easier than being in the classroom. Oh. <laughs> um, so I decided to go to law school, thought that I would go into education law, ended up working in a public defender's office up in Tulsa County. And one of the very first people that I interviewed was a former student. And for me, mm. it was really about seeing this path between what it looks like in a classroom and not being able to meet a student's needs and what that meant for after the student was no longer in the classroom. And so, again, in the back of my head, I was like, this is a policy issue. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to take a leap instead of going into litigation and went into policy. Um, the Ann and Henry Zero Foundation has a mental health policy fellowship that they offer. And so I was in the inaugural class of fellows. Um, and worked on issues at first related to criminal justice. And then as I transitioned into being a policy analyst at Healthy Minds and now policy director, really focus on those education issues and the impact of mental health and mental wellness in the education space. Wow. Well, tell us a little bit kind of about that space that, you know, Healthy Minds, what, the work they do around schools and kids in the mental health kind of realm. Yeah, Healthy Minds actually started about two and a half years ago, so pre-pandemic. Um, so we had great plans for what the next five years looked like, and there was a lot of strategy going into uh, what Oklahomans really needed as far as mental health. Uh, and then the pandemic hit. And so all of those strategies and that planning was great, but we started to realize that a lot of our focus needed to be on children and youth because the pandemic was really starting to affect not only those family units, but children and youth as they experienced what the family environment looked like after it changed. So at Healthy Minds, we are a policy organization. And so that's how we tend to really take on issues is working with policymakers and working as a convener with other organizations to really bring to light issues related to mental health. Too often in Oklahoma, mental health is the asterisk to mm -hmm. a lot of issues, and we are really mental health forward. Mental health is at the forefront of everything we do, realizing that it's not an asterisk on something. It's really a precursor to having a successful everything else. Um, and so we do that by working in the community, um, working with legislators. Uh, we help run the Mental Health Caucus, uh, which focuses on mental health issues. And this year, one of the things that they've chosen to highlight because of the pandemic um, is that children and youth mental health crisis, particularly when looking at suicide rates. Now, isn't it interesting that uh, when you use the term physical health, it doesn't have a negative connotation to it. But when you use the term mental health, everyone kind of their mind just kind of goes in this this negative aspect. And I taught students with disabilities in the area of emotional disturbance for 23 years and loved every minute of it. That was my specialty. That's what I love. Um, but getting mental health services and systems put in place is a very difficult 
road and, and run, you run into a lot of barriers. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that really has to do with stigma. So you can have stigma in families of parents not wanting to, to, I mean, you're not responsible for your child's mental health issue, but a lot of that is stigma and not wanting to bring those issues forward. And that's why we find that so many kids end up in crisis because they're not getting this prevention and early intervention care, a lot of which can be done in partnership with schools. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so vitally important. I always said that uh, I did not have one parent that woke up each day and said, I am going to help my child make poor decisions. It's their their toolbox was limited and and they needed just as much support as our students do so do you guys do you guys provide is it full family how do you tell us a little bit what all that you're able to help with yeah so we aren't actually a service provider we work with service providers to expand their services and then a lot of what we do is research so primarily most of my research has been done around the multi-tiered systems of support and then the impact uh, of mental health on students particularly student success Um, so we recognize that If a student is experiencing any mental health condition, it has an impact on academic performance. Um, I think a lot of people question the place of mental health in schools, but nobody questions academic performance. So when we talk about improving academic performance, it also requires improving the mental health and wellness of students. So you mentioned multi-tier systems of support. There's nothing better than an MTSS system um, that I truly love. Um, But how... What you said you were doing research on it. What are what are some of the issues that you're either finding with it or supporting? Sure. So uh, last year we released a comprehensive report on the state of MTSS in Oklahoma. So we looked at all 509 districts to see where they were with implementation, how implementation was actually happening, and what collaboration and coordination looked like between the agencies working on MTSS. And so a lot of that funding comes from federal grants. Um, And so the question is always sustainability. A couple of our school districts do it all alone by themselves working on MTSS initiatives. And there are even a couple of districts who work on MTSS um, with philanthropic dollars. And so from our perspective, the states who are doing really, really well with implementation of MTSS do so because the state has invested money in MTSS. Federal grants are great. A lot of what we do in Oklahoma wouldn't be possible without getting a grant for it first, but we've shown that MTSS has worked in the schools that it's been implemented in. And so now it's about whether or not the department makes permanent investment in implementing these systems of supports. So when you talk about that, are you talking about MTSS? And we're using all these acronyms and throwing them around really well. Are you talking about that on the behavioral side of it, not the academic side? So I really don't think that those things should be disconnected, right? You have this framework that includes academic success, behavioral health, and mental health. Um, We're primarily talking about the behavioral health and mental health pieces of it uh, while acknowledging the importance of the academic side as well. We, that's obviously the the purpose of schools. Um, But we really looked at what was happening at each tier in the behavioral health and mental health sides and seeing what school districts were doing great at which tier levels and really seeing what they were doing and how it could be applied to other school districts. Um, We love that our school districts are diverse 
and that they meet the specific needs of their communities, um, but they don't really talk a lot. And so looking and creating bridges for them to discuss, hey, my community sort of looks like your community in this way. How are you making it possible? Um, while also recognizing that MTSS isn't really a curriculum, right? It's just the way you do school. Um, and yeah. so it's not about, um, it's not all about dollars and cents. It's about taking an accounting of all of the resources in your community and seeing how you can maximize those resources to match student need with student services. You know, MTSS is, I always say, is a process. It's not a program. And so many times, you know, with uh, uh, reauthorization of the Individuals with Disability Education Act and, and response, responsiveness to intervention was brought into the language multi-tier systems of support came out and it became very embedded in our academics. It's it's embedded in Oklahoma academics, especially at the lower grade levels with the Reading Sufficiency Act. Right. So that's why I was asking is, is it behavioral academic? We know it on the academic side, but we don't realize that it's just as powerful on the behavioral It's uh, just side as powerful. I mean, and when we talk about why now and why MTSS, it's really looking at the impact of the pandemic on student health. And so when we sort of zoom out and look at those tiers, the classroom is 100% where tier one happens. So when you're talking about the good behavior game and teachers greeting students, our teachers are doing a fantastic job of that. Um, could they use more support? Absolutely. But that's what's happening in their classroom is really the integration of those supports. Um, at tier three, schools are currently working on some of those crisis protocols. And we'll talk about House Bill 4106, which goes a little bit further into those protocols. But really where we're seeing the most work that needs to be done is at that tier two level. So how can you refer students to outside resources if they need them? Or how can you bring those outside mental health resources into the school environment? One, to reduce the stigma of receiving those services, but two, to make it easier for families to access those services. If you have a mental health provider that's only available eight to five and mom, dad, or caregiver also works eight to five, you're really reducing the chance that a student has to have those needs met in the school environment. Do Now, as we talk about, we talk about teacher shortage, I feel like we also have a mental health care, you know, shortage too. Is that Tier two, one of the challenges being that we don't have enough people to fill that need? So I don't, workforce is definitely an issue. If we're talking about tier two and those tier two tier interventions, really it's a communication breakdown because you have your school your school people speaking one language and your mental health people speaking a little bit different of a language. And we both understand that those languages are really important, but there's not really a translator in the middle who's mm -hmm. saying, when you uh. say A, it also means A to this person, they're just using another word to describe it. And yeah. so we do have workforce issues, absolutely, but we also have a big part of the workforce that can be used in a better way if we allow for collaboration and those conversations to happen because everybody has the same goals in mind. You just need that translation service a little bit to, to really allow everybody to acknowledge that our goals are the same, we all are trying the best that we can, but the way that we approach things might be a little bit different. So you talked a little, and I think this does lead well into House Bill 4106, which is a bill that OEA supports. But it, I think one of its goals is to kind of bring more collaboration between Department of Mental Health and State Department of Ed and school districts. So can you tell us a little bit about that bill? 
Sure. So uh, House Bill 4106 is authored by Representative Van Kieran, who is actually a teacher at the high school that I graduated from. So it's oh, always great no to way. see him around the Capitol. <laughs> I never had his class because um, I was the, the kid in all AP classes who just sort of waved as I walked by. Um, and then also the Senate author is Pemberton. And so what House Bill 4106 really tries to achieve is creating a suicide protocol. When we're talking about MTSS in that third tier, we recognize that, I mean, at worst, 5% of your students should need tier three services. Yeah. Um, but 4106 requires schools to create a protocol once a student's been identified as having a mental health crisis um, so that a, a para, a teacher, um, a cafeteria worker or another individual would have the opportunity to refer them to another level of, of care. So that protocol requires the school to create sort of a sequence of events. Once the issue has been identified, here's your next step. Here are the resources in the community. Um, let's call mom, dad, parent, or caregiver um, so that they have an idea of what the next step should be. Because I think a lot of people forget that when a student or a youth is in crisis, the family is just as much in crisis. So uh, the protocol really helps to steer them in the right direction. Uh, and then it also helps to reintegrate them back into the school environment. Um, after a student's experienced some sort of mental health crisis, returning them to that uh, sort of routine is incredible for their mental health. So it addresses all of those issues and requires collaboration with local community mental health providers. Um, there are community mental health providers in all 77 counties in Oklahoma through the Department of Mental Health. Uh, this bill also encourages schools to talk to other private providers in their district to make sure that there's a protocol to where we can ensure school safety. One of the things that we've said from the very beginning is, I mean, we have rules and protocols for if there's a somebody on campus who shouldn't be on campus. And we have rules and protocols for giving a student an EpiPen, but we don't have any rules or protocols for what happens when we identify that a student might be experiencing suicidality. And we really feel like House Bill 4106 fills that gap and gives teachers the direction that they need. The issue has never been with the identification of a mental health issue. The issue has always been with what happens next and 4106 really fills in those blanks. Yeah, I, you're exactly what you're saying. I have heard stories after short stories. I, I dealt with it personally through uh, my experience as a teacher. It is happening and you are left with a huge void of what to do. You know, you you you've done your due diligence and you've you've kind of said, oh, my goodness, we have a person we have a student in crisis. And then it's always like. Uh, what do we do? Right. And one of the things that we've sort of recognized, too, over time is that the emergency department at hospitals is not the appropriate venue for those students. Mm -hmm. But what do caregivers think of first? emergency room. It's, it's exactly what I would think of first. But what we're beginning to see is that our biggest hospital systems in Oklahoma have seen between an 84% increase and a 117% increase of instances of suicidality appearing in their emergency departments. Mm -hmm. It's not sustainable for emergency departments who aren't the right venue for those individuals. Um, and there's not step-down services. So you can go see the ER doc, but if the ER doc can't then make a referral to an outpatient service, you're just gonna see that individual again because crisis recurs if you don't have follow-up care. 
Well, I mean, thank you so much for this. I know this is something that our educators are experiencing in their classroom. It's, it is something that needs to be addressed. And I think your point of that collaboration piece and bringing everyone to the table and speaking the same language um, is something that we all wanna do, but we never, all, never have the right tools to get there. So mm -hmm. really appreciate it. And this is really a, a uniting issue, right? Mental health professionals are seeing it, teachers are seeing it, and students and youth are feeling it. So if this is sort of the impetus to begin those conversations and create collaboration, then we're doing that in the hopes that it'll translate to tier two and tier one, but also uh, to the benefit of student, saving student lives. Yeah. Thank well, you so much. Yeah, thanks again, Brittany. It was great having you on. Thank you all for having me. Well, let's just take some time and catch up with Catherine. Uh, you know, Ellen, uh, next week's spring break, but before before everybody goes on spring break, we're we're still we're still here um, on, and the legislature uh, is still going to be here. Uh, we we're kind of hearing word maybe Monday and Tuesday next week they'll definitely gavel in, but but. We want you here at the Capitol, and uh, we'll be having uh, a Monday night dinner for those that want to join us. And, and then Tuesday, we'll have our briefing like we always do, Tuesday morning at 8.30. And then we'll be going over to the Capitol to uh, continue to build those relationships with our legislators, tell our stories, and uh, keep up the pressure um, that we know that we've got good bills and we've got some, some not-so-good bills. And so we want to make sure that we continue to be active. And then um, after spring break, the, the next week, we have uh, two, uh, two more civication legislative dinners back home on March 23rd and March 29th. Both of those are in uh, the Oklahoma City Metro. You can find out more information on our website at okea.org slash civication. Um, Ellen, those poor dinners, I think those are some of the two of the dinners that have been rescheduled multiple times. Uh, COVID, uh, weather, snow, ice. Yes. I mean, if, at, yeah. At this point, you know, an earthquake could come and make me. <laughs> I had to actually go into legislators' office and personally apologize. <laughs> yeah, like, I am not a crazy person, but this is our fifth time to reschedule. But we really do want you there, and we want and, our members there. <laughs> oh my gosh! And they are so amazing. I have been just ecstatic with how many people are coming out and, and, and to watch the dynamic in the room and the legislators, they're listening and, and they want to listen. And so uh, it is great time. Uh, you know, we still got uh, ooh, big, hairy, audacious uh, Senate bill. Uh, 1647 that uh, is about, it's about one thing. It's about taking money from public schools and giving it to private school tuition. It's a voucher, no matter what you want to call it, name it, tie a bow around it, we don't care. But, you know, we just did some recent polling. We commissioned a poll with the Terrence Group and a, a very renowned polling service. In fact, Senator James Langford uses that service. I mean, that uses that pollster and you can find the results um, of that poll, I know a lot of people have been pushing out on social media when the press release went out this week, um, but it's at okea.org slash vouchers, not okay. I love, I love that. I, piece I love it. that too. And, you know, the summary of that is that 
people in Oklahoma don't want vouchers. Yeah. So, but this really, you know, puts it in perspective and gives the perspective of an urban, rural, suburban voter and as a parent and, you know, really breaks down that so people understand that all of those demographics are consistently against vouchers. Yeah. My favorite thing of the poll was, you know, we ask a lot of things, what, how opinions of voters, um, how they felt about particular issues, but we also asked them, uh, what are some solutions that legislators could create? Uh, more pay for teachers, more pay for uh, overwhelming support for more pay for support professionals, uh, more money into our education system to lower class size and and hire more educators. And, you know, those are the things that we're looking for. Those are the true reforms that help build a quality public education system. So um, keep keep on the lookout for alerts. They're coming. We, we need you engaged. Uh, we cannot stop. And you can tell that our voice is making a difference. Uh, it, the pressure is on and we need to keep it up. So, you know, ne um, Ella, next week, we're going to be off. Uh, we're not going to have podcasts next week. We're It's spring break. Um, man, I just am so hoping. I want all of our educators throughout the state to rest, relax, rejuvenate, spend time with your family. Um, Ellen, what are you going to be doing? Um, we are, we are going to book it after Tuesday or on Tuesday and head up to go skiing. Ah, uh, I love snow skiing. That yes. was my family's always spring break vacation. This is, I this love is our that. second time to go. And I don't know, we're crossing our fingers. So we'll <laughs> but anyway, what about well, you? Well, if there's not any good snow and um, wherever you're going, there may be snow here. Who knows? Um, you know, Oklahoma weather. Um, I'm just going to be hanging out, hopefully, with my grandkids Aww. and enjoying some time with them. And I'll, no, I'll I'll probably be um, not thinking of I'll probably be thinking of vouchers, but um, I'm hoping to find a couple of days just to go spend time with them and. Um, get to see them so that's awesome well thank you for joining us today and thank you Brittany Hayes and Ivy Riggs and thank you for listening to Fried Okra the public education podcast for Oklahomans I'm Ellen Pogamiller with the Oklahoma Education Association and I'm Catherine Bishop president of OEA please remember to subscribe rate and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts you can also contact us at friedokrapodcast at gmail.com. Keep fighting the good fight for public education. <laughs>